The Sustainable Voice, bringing you big successes from small places worldwide. Hey guys, welcome back to The Sustainable Voice. This is Ashish, your host. So, you know, I just had an interesting experience. Um, I just got back from East Africa. Those of you who've been listening for a while know that I was born in Kenya. And, you know, the, the key that I came back with was that you never know who you're going to meet. I have a really cool story to tell you guys today. It's about a new hero that I met. And he's definitely somebody who is delivering big successes in small places. What this podcast is all about. Um, you know, this particular story takes place near Lake Magadi. It's in the Rift Valley. It's in the All Kiramatan Conservancy, which is, you know, just deep near Lake Magadi, deep in the, in the Great Rift Valley. It's not near anything. You basically have uh, 90,000 acres and one conservancy controlling it. And a conservancy to the local Maasai community, you know, that they have a revenue sharing agreement with the with the camp that's there. It's a camp that I really enjoyed. And funny enough, the camp in particular uh, is owned by a guy who is a uh, uh, the most recent or recent safari rally champ. So let's start there. So I was a kid in Kenya and used to watch these safari rallies going through. Uh, these are basically souped up Porsches, Peugeots, uh, Subarus, Mitsubishis especially. Uh, the things these guys do to these cars make soapbox rallies and soapbox derbies look like, I mean, basically look pedestrian. Uh, these things are just incredible. So they're going, it's sort of like World Rally. If you guys watch World Rally Championship, it's sort of like that, but it's a fire rally, happens through parts of Kenya. I mean, they beat the snot out of these cars uh, when they're going through. Well, anyway, the gentleman that owns it actually owns this, the, the, the recent champion owns its property as well. So I happened to be out here. I was just here on holiday and wanted to kind of go just tooling around and wanted to see parts of my native Kenya and just see different areas. Go get off the beaten track a little bit. And so I had heard about this place and I said, you know what? I haven't been out in the Rift Valley in a while. If you follow it all the way through, I, I can tell you where I've lost my first tooth and where, well, never mind. Uh, there's a lot of different things that, that, that one can claim in terms of, you know, history and growing up. But this particular part of Kenya is one that, I explored, but I don't think I explored anywhere near enough as I should have. So I made it a point to go back because I really wanted to get it. So let me paint this picture for you first. I'm actually flying there. It's a private Cessna 206 because you can't take commercial flights, otherwise I would. Um, it's about four hours to drive. It's a bit of a tricky road uh, getting out there, but it's easier to, to get out there this way. So I ended up getting out here and, uh, you know, while I was here, this little Land Cruiser uh, pulls up and there's nobody else there to pick us up and, and off we go on, on a safari. And I'm talking to this guide, his name is Amos, and I'm talking to him about just in general. And I'm looking at his eyes and I'm going, Amos, I've seen you before. I know you. Now more on that in a second, more on that actually much, much later, because what, what transpires over the course of the day is what led to these this series of moments, which led to this huge success. So let me back you up to, let's say eight o'clock that morning. This is Valentine's Day, 2023. Back you up to the morning. I'm in Nairobi and all of a sudden I get a call in my hotel room saying, come quick, come quick, hurry up, come to the lobby. I'm thinking something is wrong. I come running, disheveled as usual, and I come running to the lobby and all of a sudden I hear my name called. I turn around, it's a person that I haven't seen since I was 12 years old and I'm 45. 
And it's as if I had never missed his face, meaning that he looked the exact same. It's as if nothing had changed. It was incredible. I don't think I've hugged another man that tightly. Family excluded, my parents included, but I don't think I've ever hugged a man that tightly as I hugged this guy. And it was just, it was incredible. Now, I'm hugging him. His name is Sandy, by the way. And I'm hugging him and, and he's shaking. And we're both so happy to see each other because it was amazing in that moment. We hadn't seen each other since we were 12 years old, but we had made something of ourselves. He had made something of himself as a successful guide. I had made, my, made something of myself because I'm sitting here speaking to all of you. And it was just one of these things where literally, you know, when you see somebody, your eyes just connect. So my, I looked at his eyes and right away I knew who it was. Sammy hugged him tightly. And we could not believe in a country of 25 million people, 5 million of which live in Nairobi, in that particular hotel, in that particular lobby, on that particular day at 8 o'clock in the morning, we ran into each other. I mean, I couldn't believe it. What are the odds? And I have better luck playing the lottery. What are the odds of that happening? So that was the morning. Now you carry forward. And as I'm leaving, I'm already awestruck. I'm just going, I don't know how that happens. Again, mathematically, the odds are just not in favor of that happening ever. And sure, here I am. And of all places. And sure enough, it's a person that I haven't seen since I was 12 years old. And it's a special, special story because his father, Sammy's father, was involved with our family since my father was three years old. So you're talking about generational connection. We're not even family, and yet we're closer or even as closer, if not closer, than blood relatives. Think about that. That's amazing. And by the way, United Nations and world politicians, if you want to see how people get along, you should have been in the lobby. I'm, as you can see, as you can tell, I'm Indian, and Sammy is local Kenyan. He's African-American. And that moment, color didn't matter. Not one bit. Not that it ever should. And they never would, but it didn't matter. It's important because in Kenya, just like in Uganda and other parts of Africa and other parts of the world, skin color comes into play. And this was something that just at that very minute, I didn't see black or white. I didn't see skin color. I saw my friend. I saw somebody that I considered a brother. He was five years my senior, still is. And it was as if we didn't miss a beat. That's pretty powerful. That's something that you really have to hold true. And I remember he had some of his own travelers that were in the car waiting for him. And he just kept saying, please wait one second. This is what's happening right now. And he explained to them. And this, this wonderful, wonderful clients that were there just said, oh, please take your time. Don't worry, take your time. And they could see something powerful was happening. Now, I was traveling with some friends as well. And they saw what was happening. And in that very minute, Everything melted, color melted away, uh, religion melted away, any kind of personal belief, political and personal, melted away, any kind of lifestyle choices and orientation melted away. It didn't matter. None of it mattered. All that mattered was that a connection that was basically broken 12, when we were 12 years old because of distance was reformed. And it was reformed because we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. So Remember, as we talk about this, because this isn't the main part of the story, but remember, 
that you just never know who you're going to meet. You never know when or where or how or who you're going to meet. And in all my travels, I have to tell you, this is the first time I was actually gobsmacked. Just, I didn't know what to say. My jaw was on the floor. I couldn't describe to you how I felt or what I felt. And I thought it was pretty powerful. Now, that was between 8 and 9 a.m. Now we're at the airport flying to this airstrip and this conservancy in the Rift Valley. Now we land here and there's this lone land cruiser. So right back to where the story started, I've caught you up to that moment, that from that morning to this, this moment. So as Amos, the guide at that time is driving us through the camp and we're looking at all the different brush there and everything else. And this is in, in, just innovative traps for tsetse flies that, that the local Maasai place that I just kind of looked and said, you know, that's actually pretty ingenious. I wonder why that's not being used elsewhere. And you could just see what they were doing and, they, and, and what it was done. And I was thinking about a, my, one of my favorite TED Talks as I'm watching these Setsi fly traps. You know, one of my favorite TED Talks was from a gentleman named Richard Herrera. And I'm thinking about that TED Talk, thinking about everything else. So we start driving and I start talking about Amos. And I said, Amos, you've been guiding in the Maasai Mara? Yeah, yeah. Did you go, where'd you go to school? To be a guide. Oh, well, I went to different schools, but I was mainly in the Mara. I said, were you at Koyaki Guide School? Yeah, I was. I was there. I said, what years? We started then going through and calculating our history and where we were at what time at what moment. And as we're doing this, it dawns on me. I said, I know where I've seen this guy. So I stop and go, Amos, do you remember at Koyaki Guide School, two Canadian singer or teachers rather teaching music to the local Maasai? Yes, I remember them very well. I, they were teaching me music. They actually taught me English. Fantastic. Amos, do you remember a 15-year-old Maasai that towered over everybody else? Oh, you mean Big John? Yeah, Big John. I remember Big John because he came in out, shook my hand, with a firm handshake, I thought he was going to break my arm off, but it wasn't one where he was being violent, but just she was so strong. Now, I'm not a small guy by any means. I'm six foot three, but this guy was towering over me, and he was 15. And I remember looking up at him, broad smile. Big John was smiling at me, and I said, Amos, do you remember John's smile? He goes, oh, that smile. I remember it. Everybody remembers Big John's smile. He was the gentle giant. At 15? Giant? All right. He was. So there's John. John is basically shaking my hand and he's got you know, the, the, the beautiful, beautiful outfit on and, and just very proud. His eyes beaming, smile beaming, everything about him, shoulders cocked back. And he's, he's actually standing up proudly as a Messiah, shaking hands. It's nice to meet you, sir. Now, I got called sir that day and I felt old. <laughs> Next to him, I felt short too, but I felt old. So I was in awe of him though, because I could not believe, and I was talking to John about how old he was. He was 15 years old and he was mature than most 50 year olds. And I'm listening to him going, this is incredible. And then I walk around the corner. I go, Amos, do you remember this swarm of African bees? He goes, oh man, those African bees, those, those buggers were, were just stinging everybody and they hurt. I said, yep. 
do you remember this guy that walked through the storm? He goes, oh yeah, remember this one guy, his one Indian that walked through, I don't know what he was looking at. I don't know if he was looking back at something or whatever, but he was just completely unaware of his surroundings and you walk right through it. I just go, Amos, I'm still unaware of my surroundings. He goes, that was you? I go, that was me. He goes, oh, you were so stupid. I said, tell me about it. He goes, no, 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 no. You had got stung in the arm and you were squeezing the stingers and it was going into your bloodstream and making things worse. We were getting worried about you because these are African bees. These are not your typical honeybee or wasp. These are the bees you read about. I said, yeah, you were scared. Imagine me. He goes, we didn't know where to take you. Hospital, this, that, whatever the case, we didn't know where to take you. I said, I got scars all over my arm scratches and I think I remember having bruises too. He goes, yeah, I was hitting, I was hitting your arm. I said, you were the one that beat me, huh? He goes, yeah, I was trying to knock the stupid out of you. And I said, clearly should have hit me harder because he was hitting my arm to get the stingers out. And I remember this now, of course, I'm remembering all this sitting in the car. And of course, the people next to me looking at me going, is there anybody here you don't know? I said, no, this is just my chance, I swear. Now, mind you, they just seen what happened that morning with Sammy. And now they're sitting here going, how is this possible twice in one day? I'm asking myself the very same question. And I go, Amos, you're not going to believe what happened to me this morning. This is the day I'm not going to forget. I go, what are the odds that 25 million people and 5 million in Nairobi and, and, and you know, this conservancy here in the middle of nowhere, one vehicle and you're in the vehicle and nobody else is here. What are the odds I meet Sammy in the morning and I meet you in the afternoon? And he goes, oh, that's not the half of it. He goes, can you believe the fact that we're here? And he goes, I remember, how's your arm? I said, my arm still has bruises on it. It's a good memory. And he goes, did you ever squeeze stingers? I said, yeah, I got stung after that in the, back in the U.S. And I never stung a, stung any kind of a, or a squeezed any kind of a stinger again. I actually did what you did. I was hitting it. He goes, yeah. And he goes, that's what you do. You just hit it. I said, I was hitting it pretty hard too. He goes, yeah, you got to use a piece of wood. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, <laughs> hold on. So we're catching up at that point, and now the other two with me are wondering, where is this story going? And I'm telling them, look, you don't understand. This guy, you know, I was there with stingers and, and these, these bee stings in my arm. And as I'm telling the story, Amos goes, we were pretty worried about him. And God, was he stupid. That was the fourth time he called me stupid. I didn't stop him because he wasn't wrong. So there is that. So... We start driving into camp. I'm looking around. It's desolate, dry, very, very dry. And I'm asking, Amos, this is, this is, I mean, the riverbed's completely dry. Where are the flamingos? No, he goes, no, Bonner. The flamingos are all migrated to Lake Nature in Tanzania. There's hardly any water. I said, wow. He goes, they migrate this time of year and then they come back, but it, it's, it's bad. Things are very dry here. I said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, and we're at this place and, you know, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, you, you actually are, are just, as you think about this and as you are, you know, looking around, you just see barren and you don't see any, not even a watering hole, nothing. There's one watering hole near the camp, but otherwise just a little, little pocket of, of, you know, of a lake and, and we're crossing riverbeds that are completely dry, should have water. And I'm crossing through rocks that should have even a sense of mud or moisture and there's nothing. It is completely bone dry. We're stopping somewhere for, you know, for, for sundowners and it's completely dry. The sunset's great. The view is great. Somehow the, the cacti and everything else that are in this area, the landscape is still somewhat green. It reminds me of my time in Arizona, but it's even drier. 
Did I mention it's hot as well? It's probably pushing 90, 90 day, five during the day, cools off during at night, but it's hot during the day. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is, this is something else. This is incredible. So as we go through, we start recounting. And as we're having lunch and having a task area, I'm recounting that just, I still can't get over the fact that this is, this is who, who, who saved my arm and possibly more. Then somebody in the group is talking about, oh, well, you were here and I, that was the camp you were at. Well, that was the camp that the former president of the United States came to. It did, and so, of course, foolishly, I ask Amos, were you, were you there when he was there? He goes, there? He goes, I was his head guide. Pulls out pictures showing me with former president with the first lady. And I'm looking at this going, well, again, what are the odds? 25 million people in Kenya, I run into the one guy who happens to save my arm and also happens to be that guy. How do you, how do you compete with that? What do you do? So I'm thinking to myself, this day can't be by coincidence. And I remember telling Amos, as I told Sammy, I said, you know, I never believed anything happened by coincidence, but there's no way this day happened by coincidence. I never believed in chance. I've always thought everything happened for a reason, and that's my whole life. But this was just absurd. There's got to be something more here. And I started thinking about that. So as I'm thinking about this, I start looking around going, you know, I see a lot of people here, but not a lot of water. So I just quietly said to Amos, listen, Amos, you know, what do you do? How do you help the community? He was talking about how the pandemic really wiped him out and how he rebuilt his life and he's with the community here and he has his, 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 his girls and he has his, you know, his, his family and he's part of this community and he's talking about this and he was just sharing stories. And, and I remember telling him, I said, Amos, you know, how do you help? How do you help the communities here? How do you do? And he said, he didn't say much. He just said, you know, we're a community. We all stick together. Now, he didn't go more than that. All of a sudden, the day after we left the camp, we had gone on to the next destination up in northern Kenya, which is great. I see a post and I see a message from Amos about an elephant that was being collared because it was actually being tracked. And so they had to, he was helping the community to, to collar the elephant. Hmm. It's interesting. And he was talking about helping the community and being involved. And this is how you give back. And this is what you do in you know, for real and what you do to really get involved. And I'm listening to all this going, this is really amazing. This is powerful. This is special. I'm listening to this going, yeah, this is how you actually get involved. And I kept going through and said, there's something here. The whole rest of the safari, I'm wondering, there's got to be, there's another reason here. There's got to be something else here. There's no way that I meet two people on the same day who I, I've not seen one in 30 plus years, one in 10 plus years, and it happens on the same day within a few hours of each other. And then I'm seeing this post about always helping the community. So I got back home. I'm thinking to myself, I said, you know, I remember asking him about helping and how he helps, and he didn't say much. Hmm, that's interesting. Maybe this doesn't need any help. Then all of a sudden I get a, a message from Amos out of nowhere. And he says, you know, you asked me this question. I was thinking a lot about it. And, you know, we have a problem right now. The, the local primary secondary school here, there's about 450 kids right around here. 
the school is about to close. They've run completely out of food. The kids can't even concentrate because they're so malnourished. And he goes, and the human wildlife conflict is developing here because just the other day, two hippos actually were looking for water when they came up towards school where maybe there was some semblance of, man, of, 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 of water that was brought in. They attacked people to get to the water. That's how desperate they were. I mean, take Darwin's theory of evolution and turn it on its head. There you go. It's theory of desperation, I guess. The two hippos came in. And hippos, by the way, just so you guys know, they're the most dangerous animal out there. Not the lion, not the cheetah. Yeah, they're all dangerous, but the hippos are the most dangerous land creature. And, and sure enough, they weren't there because they were encroaching on their land, but they were there because they were looking for water. It's, that's, how do you, what do you even make of that? How do you even you know, rationalize that? So Amos came in and said, yeah, this is what happened. He said, it's, Come, the water's completely dry. It's all gone. He said, the school's going to close because the kids can't, they, they don't have any food at home. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're malnourished. They can't even concentrate because they're, they're, they're not fed. There's nothing for them. There's no water. If they go home, it's not like things get magically better at home or they can just, you know, uh, basically, you know, wait it out or, or, or be indoors or, or, or shelter in place or whatever you, whatever you call that phrase. It wasn't going to get any better. So they came to school, but what happens if the school closes? What do they do then? So he said, they have a daily ration. It's, it's quite a lot of stuff of daily ration. We, we were finding this, trying to find a way to find this stuff. He was telling me the story about how he did it. And he said, look, and what was amazing was that he didn't say, I need perpetual help. And, and that was important because, you know, a, a lot of the projects that I go to visit, you start seeing a real issue where a sense of dependence forms in where they think there's a sense of entitlement that, that they're, they're owed this help or that if somebody's going to be there to rescue them every single day of the week for the rest of their life and that they don't need to actually do anything. I thought it was pretty powerful that he said they just need 30 days. They just need 30 days. Critical is the next four weeks. They just need 30 days. That's it. Let them get to rainy season. This is, this is all that needs to happen. The rains will be here in three weeks. Now he was, again, now think about that, okay? He's saying the rains will be here in three weeks. I don't think he has God on speed dial. So I don't think he, anybody can say for sure where the rains are coming or not. Clearly, there's a drought-like condition, so the rains have not come as they expected. But he's telling me this. We just need three weeks. So he is calculated, he is deliberate, and he is focused and he's not focused on how do I just help the school perpetually? He's focused on how do I get through the next three weeks or the next four weeks? And I asked him, I said, just four weeks? He goes, yeah. He goes, just these four weeks. Then I'll worry about the next four weeks and then the next four and then the next four and then the next four. Well, I'm looking at this list and it's got everything from flour to grains to sanitary pads to everything else. And I'm just going... Wow. How does this person who's suffering from the same drought, how does this person actually have the wherewithal to, to help for four weeks? Just and to know that it's four weeks and be that confident that rain is coming. Now, I thought back to my last evening at this camp. There's this photographic hide that they have at the bottom where you can spend the whole night in the hide. It's air conditioned, which is beautiful. Uh, but you can actually, it's a solar powered, of course, but you're looking over this photographic hide the whole night with a spotter. And it was waking you up at three o'clock and five o'clock to get all sorts of animals and pictures and whatnot, which is, which is great. It's fantastic. Uh, 
So as we're going through this, I'm just thinking to myself that this is, huh, this is incredible. He's planning on four weeks. And then I thought back to this moment, again, the way I had already planned it that day and this whole, this whole series of events and this whole several days where I was in this Rift Valley could not have been by just chance. I remember my last night at the camp I almost worked at, it started sprinkling. Very light rain started sprinkling. He looked up and I looked up and I said, rain. He goes, we need it. He didn't say any more than that. I was expecting him to, I don't know what I was expecting, whether he was going to dance or do whatever. I don't know what I was expecting, but he just said, we need it. That's it. So as, as he's telling me this daily ration and everything that, that, that needs to be done, you know, for 30 days, I thought back to the fact that what are the odds that it started raining while I was there with Amos? And it was just, it was a, just for a few minutes, right? It wasn't torrential downpour, just a few minutes and then some sprinkles. I don't know what, what it represented, but it was clearly there. Well, fast forward to a few weeks later, and I see these pictures. And somehow Amos has actually managed to deliver all of this food. And he worked with people in Nairobi who stripped down their vehicles. There's a, there's a tour company in Nairobi that stripped down their vehicle and took this stuff out, put everything in there, uh, even to the point where they were driving out. I remember the guy who was taking out there, his name is Titus. He was taking it out there. And as he was taking this stuff out there, there was a, a strike on the road. So they had to wait. There's protests happening on the road because of the community, because the community wasn't getting what they wanted water-wise, whatever the case, people were lying on the road. Well, the protests passed after an hour and he kept going, kept going, kept per persevering. And next thing I know, this is all being delivered. And they, they got this list of 30 days of ration being delivered. And the fact that this school out of nowhere, and nobody knows who gave it to them. Huh? Nobody knows who gave this school. They might've known, heard Amos's name one here or there, but he wasn't even there. He sent somebody else on purpose to go deliver it. I thought it was pretty amazing, the fact that, that, that somebody could be that selfless, that giving, no ego involved, no, no uh, savior complex, for lack of better words, right? Where it just, it's not, not stuff. And it was so laser focused on 30 days. I thought it was just incredible. Thinking, what are the odds? that I ended up meeting this person. I got involved with him, was helping him to arrange this, and, and he was spearheading all of this. What are the odds? 25 million people. And I run into him. And that was the second chance meeting of the day. And that chance meeting led to him bringing supplies to 450 plus children. To actually be able to get this school through the last, hopefully, remaining weeks, and he's pretty confident it's the last remaining weeks of a massive drought that rains will help improve things. So you won't, you're not going to go from, you know, drought to flooding overnight, but you're going to have some sort of a improvement, right? Andy's better than nothing. But the fact that you have hippos attacking people because they're looking for water. You know, this is the human wildlife conflict you don't always hear about. You hear about encroachment and whatnot. This is not that. And just by chance, it could happen. So the moral of today's episode is you never know who you're going to meet. Right? You never know who you're going to meet and where you're going to meet them. And you never know when they're going to come back in your life and what that means when they do. 
So cherish each relationship that you form, the ones you want to keep. Now, we all have some we don't want to keep, obviously. The relationships you want to keep, keep them close. Even if you don't stay close for 20 years, 30 years, 15 years, 10 years, have some, keep the, keep the pilot light lit, right? Kindle the flame. Maybe a bad choice of words, but that, you know what I'm saying, right? Keep the connection going. Amos and I have been talking regularly. Sammy and I, remember the last thing I said to him was, please, let's not wait 30 years to see each other again. And, and with Amos, it was the same thing. I thought it was pretty powerful. So cherish who you meet. You never know what they're going to do in their own backyard, maybe even your backyard, just like what I witnessed today. Till next time, take care. Thank you for listening to The Sustainable Voice. If you have a success story of your own, please reach out and share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time.